Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Welcome to the Beetlejuice Minute, where we discuss Tim Burton's Beetlejuice minute by minute. I'm your host, Julianne Fay, actress and owner of CinemaBliss.com, and my co-host today is Barry Rathbun. I am not an actress. I am more involved in the sound part of making movies. And our special guest coming back today is Anthony Phillips. Is that your... uh, (laughs) I'm the ghost with the most paid. Yes, (laughs) yes, it's Michael Keaton imitation. Let's see here. <laughs> Ooh, y'all yeah. do good. Yeah, yeah. We so tried. Wait, like? you do it. Your turn. It's showtime. Yep. Did you need to? Yep. Yeah. Like... <laughs> That's what is... only because I still have a frog in my throat. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I'm sure in the cartoon he would actually pull a frog out of his throat. Probably. It was that kind of cartoon. It was. Well, funnily enough, there is not a frog on his plate because this is when we actually see the back of his supposed arm or head or something is in the beginning of the scene. Um, and it looks like a wilted salad on his plate, but knowing that he is who he is, I'm sure it is some other form of dead foliage on the plate. <laughs> and before we go any further, let's just point out that Barry was probably more indeed the closest to what we were assuming was happening with the camera descending down. Ah. Yes. Because you were kind of descending down into Beetlejuice's world. Yeah. Which exactly. is the underworld. Yeah. Exactly. So. Where you eat wilted foliage and wash it down with a cold beer. Apparently. And you read the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into that, though... Well, they did... Before we go on, they did say press is dead. Written press is dead. Ah. 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 Wrong comic book movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, this is so the, weird. That papers would have been around. It's, it's got just all these little Beetlejuice like advertisements, you know, just sitting next to all the candles. And one of them, that has like a picture of a, a beetle, but one of them is turned upside down. And when I first looked at it, I thought, because of the shape of the beetle when it's upside down, when mm-hmm. I looked at it, I thought it was just a random doodle that looked like Franco Weenie's face. Oh, <laughs> kind of that weird tray, yeah. Yes, and it has the way the dots are. It has two little eyes. So I did this whole thing where I was like, Franco Weenie. Okay, so Franco Weenie was shot in 1984. Yeah. No, yes, which came out four years before Beetlejuice. And I thought, well, maybe maybe he threw in like a, a thing because that was like his beloved, you know. Short film. Well, there, to, to add to that, before you go even further, you have to realize too that in Nightmare Before Christmas, Spot was in there, who looks alarmingly like Frankenweenie. Mm. Exactly. So this is a carry-through theme, and I think if we watched other movies, now that we're looking for it, you mm. might find pieces of them other places. There is a slight hiccup with the theory. Frankenweenie, the short, is actually live action, so it's just a normal-looking dog. This is true. But. He did a bunch of other shorts beforehand and a bunch of doodles, and yeah, you could definitely see that that kind of weird triangle Triangular face with the little mm-hmm. eyes, and yes, so. It pops up, yeah. Well, anyway. He does make a lot of the same thematic choices, and mm-hmm. a lot of the same things cross over. And some of so. that's for the fans, though. Because yeah, exactly. The fans get the exactly. It's not because, he's, like... not because he's not creative enough to come up with new stuff. It's because it's like a running joke. Like the fact that J.J. Abrams always makes a movie, he always puts... Um, as an homage, he kind of puts Archer uh, D two and everything. Like he was in the Star Trek movies, uh, just like and, Greg, Steven, and Greg Gunbro and Steven Spielberg also does the same thing. He puts uh, you know R two D two into everything. So I'm sure this is kind of his running thing. 
to connect movies to each other. Because right. in his head, they're probably all from the same universe. Hmm. Excellent. Something else I wanted to mention: the uh, we'll we'll see the number three or th- things will happen in the movie three times, or we'll have three things in there, and there are three business cards. Oh, for the Trinity. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we get our first written out of Beetlejuice's name, which coincides to the actual name of the star. By star, I don't mean Michael Keaton's star. I mean the actual ball of flaming gas in the celestial heavens. Betelgeist. Betelgeist. Yeah, Betelgeist. And, um, yeah, it, I, I couldn't find out who exactly decided on the actual spelling we get with beetle and juice drink. Um, apparently it marketed better than, you know, a star name. Well, also, let's face it, It's kind. Of, it was kind of geared towards younger people. <laughs> and could you really see, like, a 10-year-old saying Beetlegeist and being able to say it? <laughs> well, they say, oh, as far as I know, it's pronounced, I mean, for the most part. Obviously, they pronounce it in the movie, Beetlejuice. Well, he does say Beetlegeist, and then she doesn't well, pronounce it correctly, and he's kind of like close enough. Like, yeah. And, like, but, uh... Well, my thoughts are the paper headlines, because I had to look at the paper headlines. Yes. And I saw that there is maybe a Plan 9 reference. Not really sure. I saw a look at number 9. Oh, um, something about, or a yeah, leak, a leak at number 9. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know. I couldn't see by the shadow yeah. uh, what was in front of the leak for number 9. But knowing that he's going to play into Plan 9 from Outer Space quite a bit when he does the Ed Wood movies later, mm. I would not be surprised if this was just that little... Yeah, and a lot of and a lot of earlier directors definitely lean more heavily on the influence that came from before they find their own unique voice. Right. This is one of his earlier films, so yeah. Well, it was the first time he really was doing something that hadn't. I mean, because Pee Wee, he did the movie, but some of the stuff had already been established. Obviously, the right. World and that was more people. more you know Paul Rubin's creation than yeah. his. So. Right. I understand this script, as it came to him, was extremely bloody and violent. There were two daughters, and one got, like, killed by a rabbit squirrel. A possessed rabbit squirrel. A possessed rabbit squirrel, right? So Tim Burton actually toned all that down and then decided to ramp up the comedy in this one. Which was a big, huge risk. He could have had another poltergeist-type movie on his hands. Instead, he turned it into this, which is definitely, most definitely a cult classic. Yeah. Yeah. Which is now just, I guess, a classic. Yeah. <laughs> At what point does it go from being one to the other? I don't know. Popularity, I guess. When the Sunco starts selling everything. I guess, yeah, exactly. It's no longer a cult classic. Wait, does that make Rocky Horror no longer a cult classic? I think, yeah, I think that's past that. Yeah. I, I think so, too. I think when something starts as a cult classic and then it becomes so popular that so many people like it, I don't think you can call it a cult classic anymore. It's no longer... It's no longer a hidden gem. It's definitely out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to the Beetlejuice point, too, do you think yeah. there was maybe some kind of marketing ploy they thought about, about doing, like, maybe Beetlejuice drink at some point in time? I don't know. And the reason I say that only is because Ghostbusters did that. Yes. They came out with the ecto-coolers. Ecto-cooler. So I kind of have to <laughs> wonder if maybe they were thinking about... I believe it came out for the second film. I think so. I guess that was in the 90s yeah. then. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it came out for the first, but I do think... Because they, they didn't know... Well, the was, first wasn't really marketed kids-wise. Right. They didn't know what was going to happen. So I was wondering if this was kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you wrote the rest of the articles down, but uh, about half the paper is full of just bureaucratic yeah. nonsense. Timber industry leaves deficit. Uh, Justice Department uncovers Medicaid scam. 11 uh, convicted in district courts. Legislature compromise on the litter bill, and it's just kind of a weird 
everything's very bureaucratic in the afterlife. I mean, we're already getting hints of that because this paper is definitely geared to dead people, not only because it says afterlife, but if you look at the obituaries... It welcomes them. Yeah, life's loss, our gain. Right. Um, Also, train mishap brings us uh, Francis and George Olson, and I looked it up. Uh, They're not crew, they're not cast. Who knows if they're just somebody's... Friends or or just made up completely. Just made up completely. I was curious about the passengers infected with tuberculosis. That's it. Because I was thinking, okay, it's a disease that you don't hear a lot about in modern day. So here we go playing with the temporal thing because obviously mm. the Maitlands just died, and so mm-hmm. that's modern on mm-hmm. that page. But on the other thing, is it people who they figure they're going to be welcoming soon into the afterlife? All these people with tuberculosis, mm. or are these? dead people that have now contracted tuberculosis, in which case, what does a disease do to you if you're already dead when you contract it? I'm pretty sure it's people who are alive. I I mean, taking it from the rest of the stories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that's probably the more accurate of the two. Yeah. I don't know. Because litter legislature, I mean, that's kind of funny because you think about it, They've got way more litter in the afterlife because the afterlife has been going on way longer than... (laughs) But you also have to take in if there is bureaucracy and all the red tape that they have to go through for certain things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, processing all all the... Right, and processing all the dead people that they have to process, that may be a part of it too. Not so much the temporal displacement, but maybe the fact that, you know, the Maitlands come in a certain year, they die, but by the time they get processed... Other people have been processed quicker or faster, or paperwork gets shuffled around, and not everybody gets processed at the same time. And so someone had a bright idea. Knows. Let's just send them an instruction manual. We wait for all the paperwork to sort itself out. Well, that too, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I kind of love that. I also noticed. Oh, wait. I mean, oh, does that mean Beetlejuice is in hell? Oh, they're all in hell because they're in a bureaucracy. You just mentioned how many bureaucratic titles there were. Well, I just yeah, think, I don't that, think it's a simple. Yeah, I think the afterlife is just supposed to mirror the real life. And it is. I mean, that's exactly, it's basically the same thing, just with different rules. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it mirrors ours, because that's what we tend to do. We tend to mirror the afterlife after what we know. And so I think he was doing the same thing. And I'd have to look to see what other what other movies have dealt with this kind of afterlife, or was this the first one to kind of get the whole bureaucracy thing? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure... I, oh, I, the idea has probably been around. I'm starting to think about stuff like uh, maybe old... Um, you know, Ingrid Bergman films and True. stuff like that. I mean, they dealt with death being an actual person and a character who came mm-hmm. around that you could actually bargain with. And So I'm sure there are films out there that deal with the afterlife being a lot like ours. Right. Um, so. Rather than the typical, you know, cherubs, pitchforks. Right, exactly. So yeah, so this is the first time we see... Sort of. And here, at least, Yes. Uh, the titled character of the movie. And it's, you know, just... 12 minutes in, but we still don't quite see him. Obviously, we get a feel, because just the voice, and also when he looks at their obituary, you know, it's like, ah, kind of stupid, too. So you already get the sense that maybe this guy isn't quite on the up and up. Well, also that he even maybe calls not. the obituary section the business section is delightfully creepy. Yes. Because yeah, I need a job. He's preying on the, yeah. Time to look for a job. Yes, yeah, I exactly. love that. Just goes to show you the afterlife is exactly like normal life. And, speaking of, uh, this entire scene is not in the script. Really? At least, at least the, yeah, the, the drafts I have. It has nothing... None of the Beetlejuice stuff, it pretty much just has 
Barbara and Adam talking about maybe they should set up a normal routine and possibly do something with their lives. Ha 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 ha. Um, they talk about keeping track of time and doing projects in the attic. Um, one, uh, Barbara does kind of bring up the idea of a bad dream, and then they pretty much quash that. So most of the stuff that is cut out is... Yeah, they kind of deal with it. They didn't already. really need it. Yeah. yeah. Although you know, sometimes you have, sometimes you have little funny comedic moments that really, when you think when you overanalyze it, it, it doesn't make any sense. But I kind of like the little tiny one that they threw in there, as in, where did he get the little wreaths that say Adam and Barbara oh. <laughs> and all the little funeral, you know, accoutrement? Right. But did it's so cute that I don't care that I don't know what he made that out of, yeah. you know, and painted the little ribbons and everything. It's and the cute. dust. Don't forget, there's more dust. Well, Barbara's cleaning does a lot. She reminds us that the Maitlands are trapped in the house. That's the last thing she says at the end of this minute. They can't leave. That they can't leave. She doesn't finish the sentence. She can't get the vacuum. But we don't, yeah, she doesn't need to finish. Yes, but and think, it adds to the spookiness of the house because you know, well, they're not a lot of totally tidy, neat, squeaky clean Windex houses that are in most you know horror films. And uh, I mentioned it earlier um, in the podcast, but it kind of plays with that: how long have they been there? How much well, dust exactly. gathers at a time? Well, I actually <laughs> wanted to come back to that because we were talking about it in the last minute, and. I know that there's a minute coming up, so I want to save something, but I do want to come back to the subject, so please remind me mm-hmm. of the dust issue, mm-hmm. because I have a theory about the dust and why it's so inconsistent. Okay. And I think it wasn't inconsistent. I think it was actually brilliant, and it was something that was never said. It was just to be implied and understood, and it just struck me. So when we get to that minute, which is coming up, please remind me. Absolutely. Thank you. Will do. Um, oh, and as an actor, uh, you'll appreciate this thought. I wonder... Well actor slash we've all kind of worked on independent sets where we've had to help out how much baby powder or tout do you think they <laughs> went through and how much how many coughing fits do you think the actors went through on some of the outtakes uh, through all the dust <laughs> maybe yes. that's why Michael Keaton sounds like that. well actually I wanted to bring that's that's something it's funny that kind of ties into something that just happened uh, but there was an interview recently with Jonah Hill and I have always wondered how they actually did most of the cocaine scenes and they did in certain movies like Wolf of Wall Street. Well, he actually explained how that was done. And he was actually treated for uh, bronchitis and actually had to be hospitalized after reading Wolf of Wall Street. Because what they do is they actually ingest, they snort uh, vitamin powder. So, you know, it, it goes in, but it looks like it, but they can actually snort it without hurting their bodies. However... You inhale enough powder or dust of anything, and it will start clogging up your lungs and your respiratory system. And so he actually had to be hospitalized for bronchitis because of that. And so that does make me kind of wonder if that was an issue or a problem on the set with all the dust flying around. Um, I mean, not to mention if anybody had allergies or (laughs) severe sign of struggle to begin with. But you do have to wonder if you're throwing all that stuff around, did people get sick trying to shoot scenes? Especially the extra dusty ones. Yes. Yes. Well, anything else? Anybody? Uh, I think that's all mine. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you tomorrow for Minute 13.